Recording in progress. So this is a special episode of the InfoDump Files because this will be part of the Stimmy Vibrations, a day to celebrate Autistic Voices uh, event. Uh, and you know what I what I wanted to do is on another on my separate podcast, uh, Autism Stories. I'll be talking a little bit more about the creation of the event and all of that. But I wanted to talk uh, today about uh, Becca's role in STEMI Vibrations because um, I feel a lot of times like, you know, sometimes people aren't given credit for their role in certain things and I want to make sure Becca gets the credit that she does, that she's due, especially if you're watching and, you know, part of the STEMI Vibrations event today and it's, you know, helpful to you. You're enjoying it. If you don't like it, you can just blame me. Uh, <laughs> well, no, it's okay. I'll take those emails, too. I'm going to take it off. Sure. Okay. Uh, so, I, you know, I, at least for me, I always have like a million different ideas. And one of them was for this event because every April, but I, I don't know why it was last April, I was even more annoyed how terrible the whole... The whole month went. Yes. Uh, and and my personality is if I don't like something, if I have a problem, I'm gonna. I need to come up with maybe not a solution, but a way to make it better. So that was kind of the idea behind this event. And you know, I I'm very careful about when I have an idea. Who is like one of the first people I will talk to it about? Because people can really um, get in the way of ideas kind of moving forward. So I don't know if Becca was the first person. She might have been. Um, if she wasn't the first, she was probably the second person that I I reached out to. And I was like, uh, Becca, here's my idea for this thing next April. And what do you think? Is this an idea that is going to be good in any way at all? Am I, <laughs> am, do I need to seek professional help for just coming up with the idea? What, what's, what's the deal? And, and Becca will always give me her opinion, whether... Always. Always give the opinion, uh, add her opinion, and I appreciate that. And... She was really positive about it and has been really helpful behind the scenes uh, in making this happen. So I just wanted to take these few minutes to say thank you, Becca, and I appreciate you uh, not shutting down the idea so quickly. <laughs> well, I thank you for trusting me. It's actually a pretty big honor to be someone's sounding board in that way, right? It requires a lot of trust when you throw a 4 a.m. out idea out to somebody like here I thought about this I woke up this morning it still sounded good what do you think <laughs> right and so that's a really and I think that's what I, I really I dig about our relationship is because Doug and I are doers we're not we don't like to sit on ideas we have ideas and we're like well well, let's do it. <laughs> so, like, let's make it happen because we both get frustrated by that unempowered feeling. Like, last April sucked. I don't want it to suck. <laughs> I have to feel better about it. What am I going to do, right? And I agree with you that last year sucked worse than anything else. And I think I know why. Um, I think because COVID changed the way that people were using April, right? They could no longer fundraise in that 
physical capacity and so they've shifted to all of this online stuff and suddenly it's not so important to fundraise during April and, and push it in that way and that is disappointing right because that was not supposed to be the purpose of a autism April the purpose of it is to acknowledge that there's a whole bunch of us on this planet who are autistic right and that hasn't changed just because of COVID um, and so I'm all about it. And you know that I think that COVID was like a blessing for the autistic community in terms of remote work, in terms of people being more inclined to do things via the internet, right? Um, and this is another one of those bonuses. We get to take April back, right? We get to take it and make it what we want. So I thank you for including me in the process because um, that's really what it means to me. Yes, I love that it's all, we're celebrating autistic voices. I love that it's a podcast thing that we're doing because we love that. Um, but overall, I love that we're reclaiming April. I think that's that's my favorite part of it. Yeah. And, and our guest today, Maddie, um, I, I'm very excited to talk to to you. Um, probably my my 25 year old self would even be more excited because. Because that was usually, that was around the time period where I was reading a lot of existential uh, philosophy, <laughs> book after book, uh, trying to figure out the meaning of life. And I guess maybe that's part of like kind of when people learn about their autistic identity. I think it's kind of connected to that. So, um, so, you, so your, your name on uh, social media is the existential autist. So I'm going to assume... Uh, philosophy and existentialism is an important part of your life? Yeah, uh, just to start off with, thanks to Doug and Bega for having me. Um, it's a real pleasure and, yeah, fantastic to be here. In terms of, yes, for myself, um, philosophy, um, especially in the last four years, um, has really been a fundamental part of my life and claiming um, and perhaps reclaiming and starting to be authentic and autistic being. So, so yes, I, I really delved into existentialist philosophy while I was finishing off my philosophy degree um, at university in the UK, yet previously there'd always been a kind of I'd never had access to the subject because of lack of means and where I'm from in the UK, Newcastle, the kind of education system, but always drawn to that kind of, that question of what is a true self? Um, how can we be authentic? And the more I came to terms and accepted being autistic, neurodivergent and disabled, um, it, it just took on such a, such a big level Yet at the same time, a lot of that's to do with the welcoming embrace of the actually autistic community and the neurodivergent communities and disabled communities. So, so yeah, um, I'm glad that you can reconnect with that 25-year-old self, whatever. <laughs> we're, we're all part of it in there, Doug. Yeah. Do Do you have any like favorite existential uh, authors? Yeah, so currently I, I go through phases of these things, and I think it's it's with the hyper focus. Um, but getting into a mix of uh, Kierkegaard 
and Schopenhauer currently in looking into faith and taking leaps of faith and connecting it to um, autistic being. So I'm just going through a, a trying to kind of bring that philosophy into taking away the kind of, you know, jargon and elitism because I find the subject, you know, can be very much full of that. It's quite inaccessible. So trying to tie it in currently with, you know, being autistic and connecting it to human rights and not just this, um, you know, navel-gazing subject for a select academic view, which, you know, it needs to be for, for everybody. So, so yeah, I'm just, I'm kind of looking at that, but also I, I, I do spoken word poetry, so trying to reflect that in the poetry I'm doing as well currently. So it's just an ongoing project, but but a bit of, yeah, a bit of Schopenhauer um, at the moment, yeah. And have you, done, have you read much of Sartre or, or Nietzsche? Sorry, I guess I was on mute. <laughs> Happen. I was just enjoying the moment there. Yeah, yeah. I was. Maybe you saw my lips moving, but nothing, nothing was happening. Uh, have you read much of Nietzsche or Sartre? Yeah, well, with Nietzsche, um, I actually think uh, an opinion of mine of, of Nietzsche's kind of perceived nihilism. Um, I, I did look a lot into to those books, Zarathustra, and tried to tie that into. Um, becoming and being authentic but viewing nihilism um how, how to explain this that for example the the classic quote god is dead um it you know but it's not mentioned that we've killed him like using it as a warning to kind of create a new faith and not lose all sorts of hope so so yeah that was kind of a big part of trying to not turn into this classic kind of yeah, depressive type, actually you can bring faith with that and hope for like neurodivergent self. Um, because for me, faith, you know, faith's a key part of that rather than classic kind of nihilism. So, so yeah, a bit of a bit of Nietzsche, who had a lot of his works manipulated as well for propaganda. So, so yeah. I, uh, I was a philosophy major myself, and so I'm trying to hold back from, from like just having an info, like a whole info dump to myself right now. Um, but I think it's really interesting how if you're a philosophy person and, and philosophy speaks to you and that's the stuff you want to think about, how the way that you view different philosophers change as you develop, right? So, I mean, I was in college. I was 22 years old and I was full nihilist. What? That was my life. And either that or, or the classic. That was it. I was very, very snobby about the whole thing and, you know, like really into it. I, I, um, it was a special interest of mine for six years or so. And, um, that was a really interesting experience for me. And as I get older, um, I feel really uninclined to Western philosophers. Um, and I'm finding that all of the stuff in the Eastern philosophy that I didn't understand when I was 22, I understand at 46. So it's been like a growth for me. And so I'm kind of relearning a lot of those things. And so it's interesting to hear you talk about also kind of phasing through that. Yeah, yeah, Becca, it's, 
Oh, I think that's fascinating, isn't it? How the perception shifts with time, and um, well, maybe in twenty-seven, but also always being seen like an old soul. I don't know if it's like the neurodivergence things have been been around older older groups with that, but yeah. but I, com- I completely get you that it's still so obsessed with those Western thinkers and the classic, you know, kind of kind of white guys and the existential crisis. Right. So I, I I think leaning on more like more Buddhist philosophy as well and Zen thinking mm-hmm. is kind of key. Um, but yeah, I'd love to learn more. To be fair. And you were saying how you do a little bit of spoken word um, poetry. I'm, I'm very interested in poetry these days. I haven't attempted it yet, but what kind of like um, sparked your interest in poetry? So, poetry for me, again in terms of a huge passion of mine, has always been the the world of words. Um, in terms of understanding myself and the world around me I've always had this um, this mind for the sound and rhythm so literature and being exposed to that um, from a young age and kind of it has always been a great stem of mine actually converse you know discourse any poetry um, so that that's kind of it's only recently something that I've, I've became more open about in terms of spoken word poetry but I've, I've been writing quite a bit and keeping it to myself for a few years. Um, more as kind of self-help and dealing with mental health and, you know, depression, anxiety. But now um, I've, I've, you know, publishing my own stuff on my own blog and website and trying to um, form some neurodivergent and autistic-led poetry and spoken word nights. I've got a group going now that's doing that and yeah online on twitter we'll have spaces on there and just trying to connect well yeah i love the connections you see so bringing the philosophy into that and trying to like like spread it across but but it's my escape yet at the same time i can learn so much i feel about people and I, you know their experiences through poetry so so yeah i, I, I love uh, that world as well and, and yeah breaking down as well i'll say this the elitism again, you know that because of accent or grammar or being perceived as the you know the right kind of um, a lot of those classical circles can be toxic as yeah. is the same with philosophy. So I'm really passionate to break down a lot of that then the hierarchies so people can express as authentically and freely as they want. Really, um, yeah. One of the th- reasons I think I'm, I've gotten more interested in poetry is the anything where I could speak less is like a thumbs up for me. <laughs> and it seems like poetry, like the, the efficiency part of like words, it's like, oh, you could say this one word here and it conveys like six paragraphs, you know, like why, why use six paragraphs when you could say these one, two or three words? Doug, I love that everything, it all comes, and then why do you do podcasts, my friend? You don't want to talk. That, that. <laughs> all we do is talk. Every time we get together, we talk. You're so great. Uh, I guess a lot of contradictions, Becca. Right. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, 
was going to say to that, Doug, you know, the, the cliché saying, you may be a poet, but you just don't know it. <laughs> or accepting it and having that, um, that little, that skill in there and that passion. And I think, yeah, it goes, again, it feels like you're touched upon this thing of there's like a classic idea of what it is or how things can be said. And I always say this with philosophy as well and poetry. Everyone is a philosopher. Everyone's a poet. People are so multifaceted that we're not just with title that we think, well, you know, like with a, with a podcast doing this, in a way, way, it's a form of poetry. If you want to take it that way and the way the questions are formulated, it's art, isn't it? It's an art form. So, so I, I, you know, I think you're an artist for what you're doing. Both of you, you know, so, so yeah. Yeah, let's go with that. I'm an artist. <laughs> We're artists, Becca. Come on. <laughs> Maddie and I have done a good job of consoling you. He's very kind about it, and I just am the one that shoves you out the door. Like, go talk anyway. Here. So, Maddie, um, something I learned uh, from you recently was, um, and I don't know, maybe I'm just so unaware, is about Spaces on Twitter. And I know you're a host in, in on Spaces on Twitter. Can you can you talk a little bit about like? the benefits of that and what exactly do you do? Yeah, it's um yeah, it's, it's certainly something I'm I'm really involved with now. So in terms of the Twitter spaces being introduced, um I've only came to it recently in the last couple of months again, what is time nowadays it's so surreal but um so it's basically like putting on like a kind of live podcast where people can come up to speak. There can be an audience, um, but you can use that kind of space for many um, anything you really wish to wish to host. You know, so um, for me, I'm focusing currently a lot on mental health spaces for neurodivergent folks, um, performing poetry at some at some spaces that some friends are are doing. And, uh, and and yeah, also I help an organisation that I'm, I'm passionate to help, which is in the United States, Autistics Unmasked, which is a non-for-profit, autistic-led, um, you know, support group and advocacy led by, um, well, centering BIPOC voices in that community. So um, kind of trying to amplify that as well as all the other spaces. So... So yeah, the, the, it's really amazing those kind of experiences, and I think it's bringing a whole new set of people into speaking authentically and openly through the medium, you know, of, of Twitter, but also trying to include non-speakers or those who are selectively mute. There is a bit of pressure there, you know, like to to ramble on, like I like I might be with things, but saying to people, look, if you'd like to direct message the co-host or the host would love to read out what your thoughts are or, you know, what, what a question is. So I think it's very exciting and I think it's just this new age that we're, we're heading towards. So it's been very helpful and, and I think just um, like I discussed before about the start of uh, the, you know, the pandemic and this kind of reawakening of communication, it's tied in with a lot of that. So there is kind of a rebirth in that and opportunities for um, neurodivergent people to be accepted and heard. Yeah. 
Now, um, I saw a I saw a post from you on Twitter or a message um, that I thought was very appropriate for this event um, in which you talked about how the more neurodivergent, autistic, and disabled folks I connect with, the more I realize how much time and life I wasted trying to fit into a neurotypical world so shallow, dull, and without true joy love, empathy, and actual engaging discussion. So maybe, can you talk about that journey for you? Yeah, yeah, that was, yeah, as heartfelt and as authentic I could get with that. And, uh, you know, every every word, every utterance of that about, I think it connects to that philosophy and that existential kind of search for myself because, I spent so many years until really the pandemic um, engaging with my, you know, true self and connecting with uh, neurodivergent and autistic folks to the levels I am now because of, yeah, a, a lot of lack of acceptance um, of myself growing up and in society. So I spent a lot of time kind of previously in the last few years before that, doing a lot of, um, well, mental health kind of um, groups and such, but not being open about who I was, not being open about being autistic, why I was so passionate, um, involved in music gigs, organising, political organising, yet there was always this inner self that connected to the existentialism that, that wasn't fulfilled because I know now, because I wasn't connecting with neurokin, with those who'd had the lived experience, but, um, you know, so it's been, you know, it's a real process for me also of, of becoming and recovering from a lot of them kind of dog ideas of lack of acceptance, I suppose. So, so yeah, it, it's perhaps like, um, transcendental almost in an existential sense because mm. or a birth of a new self there's like a bit so it's my own project of self going on but with the advocacy and, and everything it's like so so yeah it's, it's very very important to me and emotional so so yeah that resonates with me so clearly like for you it's philosophy and for me my vehicle has been personal development and self-help but it's that same i just want to find my real self underneath all of the other shit that everyone has put on top of me or done to me or has had or not happened to me, right? And all of that stuff. And I, you know, for me, that vehicle was a lot more of this Eastern thinking, right? Very mindfulness-based and things like that. Um, much more spiritually-based than I, than I want to say um, religiously-based, but very spiritual growth for me. Um, and I think that it's interesting that philosophy has been that tool for you, but it's a similar journey. And I wonder if that's part of the autistic journey in the society that we live in. Like, is that our responsibility to self to go through that journey? Yeah, no, I'd, I'd love to come in on that, Becca, because again, for me, like the existentialism in the classical sense of it's a part of it. But as I mentioned, faith and and spirituality and those connections to me is very important um i went through a time when i was in recovery drinking a lot substance and 
Um, I've always had well faith, my name being Matthew, you know, and but le- reaching out to other kind of uh, faith systems um, and belief, and you know the serenity prayer of accept what you can change and can't. So I certainly believe there's a wisdom in in energy in realizing that cause and effect in a lot of the suppressed um eastern philosophies as well um a a lot of um you know female philosophers that don't get discussed and um you know some perhaps more revolutionary and life-affirming philosophy that still needs to be exposed within those belief systems so so i'm open-minded to that's what i try to be i try to be open-minded to to different um faiths and calling and I just I say this as well. It was it's probably a classic like philo- philosophical like discourse. Mm-hmm. But um, even the atheist has faith in nothing. Right. There exactly. Nothing that is such a classic philosophical yeah. conundrum, right? Everybody has faith. It's just what you have faith in differs. Yeah. No. No. For for sure. Like. Um, and it's not being antagonistic with people. It's just mm. trying to to connect back to the self. And this is why I feel existentialism and how we can rehumanize people and address trauma so it connects to mental health in that journey. You know what I mean? Like I, um, I'm not like sitting reading through every page of uh, of Nietzsche. I don't do it in that style. You know, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's more like using those moments of, of trauma and knowing that there's pain there for people and trying to provide a new type of neurodivergent future in society where it is safe to say that and we'll have some protection and energy, and energy um, in whichever faith you believe to to transcend something, to move towards. So, so yeah. I, I love learning about people's views of that. So, so yeah. Maddie, are, are there any... Um, do you have any things that you're that you really love or any special interests that we haven't talked about today? Well, away from me rambling with the, no, the existentialism, I love him. Um, you know, uh, Newcastle United. I've always, football, my football club in the, in the northeast. when I'm zoning out, when I'm de-stimming, I just watch uh, some, um, well, f- football, I don't know if everyone's saying soccer still, but, but yeah, a bit, <laughs> bit of football and, um, of our random sort of things just I, I like I love anything in nature really um, beaches at the moment well actually at the moment I'm helping um, well I'm in a class basically which is having autistic um, adults going in with autistic kids like kind of awesome club and uh-huh. we're discussing special interests so it's again a new way of doing things so you try to have like older adults who are doing things and we're just talking a lot about bridges and the seaside and um so yeah at the moment i'm, I'm kind of taking some photography in my own time as well of like the sea and um different bridges for um friends across the pond because i seem to be spending a lot more time with with friends across the pond and canada and all over so so yeah, it's a, it's it's very soothing to me. Um, anything like that, yeah. I think that's so important. I think one of the things I was miss I missed out on the most 
um, I think is A, knowing that I was autistic as a child, and then B, not having any autistic adult mentors to, like, look up to. Like, you can be autistic and, and be happy and an adult and successful and all of those things. Um, and so one of, it's one of my little mini missions to just be that for, right? If we're not out there showing kids that you can be an adult and autistic, then what do they have to look up to? And so, uh, you know, I love that you're doing that too. I think that's fantastic. Oh, that, thank you. Thank you very much. It's, you know, it was on my mind because it, it's connected with it, that future thinking, you know, in the days where things are intense and I run out of spoons and I might be selectively mute, just connecting with nature or, you know, watching some football or, or something small like that and then taking it back to the youth and saying, look, we don't all have to, you know, I'd be this like, you know, I think something else, it's off topic, but we'll, we'll go on it as like, you know, the notion of like being autistic and having to be this great performer or talker right. or some kind of, you know, like overcoming something which mm. connects to philosophy, of course. And But it's toxic in that sense. It's where it's manipulated. It's like being autistic or being disabled isn't actually something to overcome. It's embracing that and saying it's okay if you have these days where you're overloaded, where you take your own time to care. So I'm trying to share that with people as well in the younger generation so they're not coerced into doing things which will lead to a lot of um, breakdowns down the line. So it's, it's vital, I think, yeah. Well, we always end each episode of the Infodump Files with a segment called the Inside the Autistic Studio. Um, where we'll ask you 11 questions, Maddie. So the uh, the first question is, um, what are your pronouns? Hey, hip. And what's your preferred stem? I do like um, a little bit of hard flapping stemming. I need a new bubble wrap. I used to have like this infinite bubble wrap on the back of my phone, but, but yeah, a little bit of clicking at the moment. Yeah. What's your favorite curse word? Probably bastard. You bastard. That's I don't know. Just, yeah. yeah I, like I muted myself, but with your accent, it's so good when you say it. It's very, it's, it's strong and powerful. <laughs> oh, jazz, jazz beggar. I'm, I'm cringe as anything, but I appreciate you, honestly. <laughs> and uh, who do you love and what are you doing about it? Well, you know, Doug, I love the project going on here that you and Becker are doing. So, so yes, I'm, I'm feeling the love and I'm expressing it through the, the verbal form right now. Thank you. <laughs> uh, the next two are fill in the blanks. You, you may be neurotypical if... question authority blindly accept anything and then you may be autistic if think critically and be authentic no matter the cost what what's something you want to learn to do or be better at
Sí. Anything musical, musical instruments. Yeah, I'd like to have the patience with that. To have some patience to sit down and devote some time, and that connects with ADHD as well. But maybe trying to. I once played the the triangle in a school play. I'll have you know, but but other than that, nothing so far. What uh, autistic social media account should people be paying attention to? All right, so. Currently, I gave a shout out before to Autistics Unmasked. Um, I'd say Old Collab, uh, Neurodivergent Infinity, Black Autistics in the UK, and um, how how far can I go? There's so many. There's so many. Any anything around um, autism acceptance, rather than just awareness and neurodivergent emancipation. So, so yeah, there's loads. What's one thing in your routine you couldn't possibly live without? Just writing down thoughts or anything troubling me. Yeah, I need to try to do that more. But yeah, I couldn't live without it. Yeah. Dog, cat, or must I choose? Uh, if, if I had to, honestly, dog. Dog, but I love cats as well. But, but yeah. And uh, the last question, what does autistic joy mean to you? many things but right now kind of an overall philosophical way of it if I'm going to be like that it's just having the pleasure of seeing other authentic autistic people expressing without fear without being forced to change without apologizing so there's something beautiful and transcendent beyond words experiencing that so so that, that's joy just being fully embraced and accepted. Yeah. All right. That was the last question, right? Yep, that was it. Awesome. Well, I can't thank you enough, Maddie, for being here with us. I really appreciate you coming on and talking about these kind of like big, deep topics with us, right? Sometimes it's important that we think about the stuff that, you know, the world has to teach us. And I think one of the things that I loved about philosophy always is that it's stuff that people have been thinking about for a very, 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 very long time. And, and I really, and I liked the history of it and being understand, you know, understanding the way people's thoughts unravel. Um, and so it's interesting as we sit here in 2022 that we're all still thinking about it <laughs> and talking about it. So um, I hope you guys will be inspired to think a little bit more about your internal identity and how you sort of come to that conclusion about yourself and, and what things inspire you and what doesn't. Um, and with that, I say happy Steamy Vibrations Day. We are so excited to have gotten this off the ground and really um, just um, 
be able to celebrate all of our voices together. So, yay, and thank you for joining us. We'll see you guys next time. Recording stopped.